So when Steve and I became pastors of this church nearly five years ago, uh, we inherited a mission statement which has a strap line to know Jesus and to make him known. And quite a lot of vineyards use this strap line because it's just a few simple words, but actually they portray so much in those few simple words. And I think that those words still really sum up who we want to be as a church and what we want to do. Because we want to be a church that knows Jesus, both as individuals and as a community. And we want to know everything about him. We want to know what he's like and uh, how he does things and all of that, all of that. But not only that, we want to actually know him and be in a relationship with him, first and foremost. So as individuals and as a community, we want to know Jesus, really know him, be really close to him. And as well as that, we want to share that. We don't want to just keep it for ourselves. We want to share that with the rest of our community and take the message of Jesus' love and Jesus' love into wherever we can. Jesus said about himself, um, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And it says in Hebrews chapter 13, 8, um, that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. There's so much said about Jesus, I'm just saying a few things here. It says about him in Colossians 1.15 that he is the image of the invisible God. And you know, even yesterday a few of us were WhatsApping in the evening because one of the teenagers asked the question, why can't we see God's face? And we were having this conversation about, well, why can't we see God's face? Um, And basically, at the end of the day, nobody's seen God, but we've seen Jesus who is God. Um, Jesus shows us everything that God is like. And although um, Jesus the Son is one part of the Trinitarian God, um, we only need to be able to understand Jesus and we understand God. So making Jesus and making Jesus known is, is something that we have to do on all sorts of levels. Um, because Jesus says that Um, if we're his followers, then we will give food to the hungry and we'll give clothes to those who have none and we'll be hospitable to the stranger. Um, And if you think about who we are as a church, the storehouse ministry is so crucial and fundamental to who we are. And that's why we we love... um, meeting people and being part of people's lives as well as giving them stuff. It's not just about giving them stuff. It's about sharing lives with people in our community and um, being part of their journey as well. It's a privilege. And Rich and Becky Snaith and James and and Joma are part of the ministry called Refugee Compassion that comes out of our church as well. And they've been crazily doing something this summer, which they did last summer as well, which is they go and collect sleeping bags that are left from the festivals 
And uh, they, they, they go on sleeping bags, scavenging, scavenging hunts and um, bring back piles of dirty sleeping bags that have just been abandoned by reckless teenagers, of whom ours was one a few years ago. And we kept wondering why our camping stuff was disappearing every summer. And now we actually realise that it's because... These people who go to festivals just get up and go in the morning that they're going to go home and they leave everything there. So fortunately for the refugees, there are people like Rich and Becky and Joma and James who will go and bother to pick up these sleeping bags and bring them back and wash them and take them to the refugees in France. So we do this stuff because we believe it's part of being followers of Jesus and showing his love. And Jesus also said that if we give a cup of water to someone who's thirsty, then we're effectively giving it to him. But that if we don't give a cup of water to someone who's thirsty, then we're actually refusing him a cup of cold water as well. So there's so many needs around us, so much for us to do. How do we work out what needs we should try and meet and what and when we should just be looking after ourselves and our families, because, of course, that's important too, and he wants that for us, as too, for us too. I was reading a story in the New Testament that Luke touched on in his talk a couple of weeks ago, uh, which has got some great answers to this question, and we're going to have a look at it today. It's the story of Jesus meeting the Samaritan woman at the well, uh, where Jesus starts off by asking the woman for a glass of water. So we're going to read it in a second. But it just struck me, actually, as we were worshipping. I hadn't actually thought about this when I was preparing the talk. But the whole of the Gospels are showing us how Jesus, from his birth, um, goes about teaching and preaching and healing and telling the good news of the kingdom of God. And each of the Gospel writers put it in a different way, and they have a bit of a different agenda as to how they um, write the stories up so that we understand who Jesus was and what he came to do. And um, chapter 4 of John, which is where we're going to read from, is just after Jesus has spoken to a Pharisee and had a long conversation with him. It's after Jesus has done some miracles and preached and taught in Galilee and Judea. And um, he then goes into a village of Samaria, which is outside of the Jewish people, and we'll, we'll hear as we go on why that's quite controversial that he should do that. But let's just think for a minute. If we wanted to go and convert a village and help a whole village to understand Jesus' love and understand who he is, how would we do it? I suppose we could take a film, we could um, get a, a, an evangelistic team and we could teach them and we could um, get them to know how to do really good evangelism. There might be all sorts of ways that we could do it. Or being Jesus, probably, I would think that the most effective way he could do it is just to go in and be himself and teach and do what he does. But interestingly, he achieves that goal to evangelize the whole village through actually a conversation with a woman and not just any old woman, a woman who was actually a bit of an outcast of that society. So one of the geniuses of this story is that Jesus' good news and his gospel goes into a village 
through a conversation with just one small, insignificant woman who no one else would probably have chosen, but because of her, a whole village comes to know Jesus. So we're going to read from John chapter 4, right the way through to 26. So I don't apologize, it's a long passage of scripture. We're going to enjoy it together. So Jesus left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria. And he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, or Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Because Jews don't associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. So, up until this point, a little bit of a a break here. She is taking everything that Jesus is saying quite literally. And she's on the defensive. She's very defensive because... She's very suspicious of the fact that this Jew is asking her, as a Samaritan woman, for some some water. And they're having this conversation, sort of banter backwards and forward, and she's kind of sussing out what he's meaning. And she's quite cross because he's claiming that he can give living water. And apparently, this living water, she would have understood as like a spring that wells up from the ground, a fresh spring from a mountain as opposed to a well where you have to dig deep for kind of still water. So even that conversation where Jesus is talking about living water, she's probably taking it very literally and thinking that Jesus is saying because he's a Jew, he's so much more superior than her ancestor Jacob. Now Jacob was a character in the Old Testament who was... um, very important in the story of Israel. And the Samaritans were part of the story of Israel right at the very beginning. And then what happened was, about 700 years before Jesus came, they split off from the regular Jews and became a a group on their own for all sorts of reasons. So this woman was taking what Jesus was saying as being as though he was acting superior and saying, because I'm a Jew, I can get better water than Jacob gave gave you. So that's the kind of level of the conversation that's going on at the moment. But then Jesus totally turns the track. And Jesus says to her in verse 16, go and call your husband and come back. 
Well, what's that got to do with anything? <laughs> um, I have no husband, she, she replied. And Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you now, that you now have is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. So she's taking it back to the argument between the Samaritans and the Jews, uh, because they worship in different places, obviously. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know, and we worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. So Jesus is kind of saying, well, I'm not going to give you that one, because salvation is from the Jews. Um, Yet a time is coming and now has come when true worshippers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and his worshippers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. And if you know about John, the way John writes his gospel, he has a number of these, what they call I am sayings, which are very much um, showing that Jesus is identifying himself with the God of the Old Testament who said, I am who I am. So Jesus is making a link with the fact that he is in some way divine. Okay, right, we're just going to think about a few things that come from that story. But first of all, I want to ask you if if you've ever played the game, um, what's it called? Hang on. It's called, what do you prefer? Is that, no, it's not called, what do you prefer? What? Would you rather? Thank you. I got. I know. So our kids used to call this game "What's Worse" or yeah, "What's Worse." So they used to play the game as "What's Worse," but it's apparently the game is "What Would You Rather?" And in many cars around the country and around the world on holidays, children in the back play this game. What would you rather? So I asked uh, my grandchildren. Laurie and Lois yesterday to give me an example of this game. Uh, and Laurie, who's eight, came up with, what would, you, what would you rather, to wear wet clothes for the rest of your life or to wear no clothes for the rest of your life? <laughs> <laughs> so that's Laurie. And then Lois, who's four, was a bit simpler and more succinct. And she came up with, What would you rather, glasses or teeth? There you go. (laughs) So that's the game. And if you're familiar with the game, after I'd read this story, I started to think that it's almost like that game is being played out a bit in this story. Um, So we're going to go for three things in the story of what would you rather. So the first one is... What would you rather, Jews or Samaritans? And as I said when we read it, there's a bit of 
competition going on, and the woman is being very defensive because she's immediately feeling that Jesus is criticizing who she is as a Samaritan. Um, in terms of the fact that she's um, perhaps got a life that she's not that proud of is beside the point because she wouldn't expect Jesus to know that. But on the surface level, she's um, being defensive about her ethnicity and her people, understandably. And uh, yet Jesus doesn't buy into the kind of competitiveness that's going on, although at the point where he says salvation does come from the Jews. But he's not actually um, trying to do one-upmanship. He is saying things as they are. So, although Jesus kind of enters into that game, um, he is able to um, lead the conversation gently in the direction that he wants to take it. So another one. What would you rather? The physical world or the spiritual world? So there's obviously a a thing going on there, isn't there? Uh, Jesus comes to her on the physical level and it's hot and it's noon. It's the middle of the day and it's probably even hotter than it is in this country although I'm not quite sure because we're, we're kind of getting there, aren't we, on the, on the levels. Um, and he really wants a glass of water. And she's come for water as well. And again, Jesus' love and hospitality isn't just about doing things for people or even just showing people that he loves them, but he asks her for a glass of water. He, Jesus' hospitality is about being the guest as well as about being the host And sometimes it's easier, isn't it, to be the host because that kind of puts you in a situation of power. But Jesus um, is is the guest and he says, please, will you give me a drink of water? Um, The thing is, he'd gone through Samaria, but he needn't have gone that way. He actually went out of his way to go and meet the woman at the well because he was going from Judea to Galilee. And most Jews would have deliberately not gone through Samaria, but Jesus went through Samaria. So the physical space of where he was was important. And then when Jesus was talking about water, he's clearly talking about spiritual thirst. He's drawing her into a conversation about her inner, deeper self. Um, And she is continually trying to make it literal. She's trying to make it about the surface conversation, and he's trying to draw her into a deeper conversation. And later on, Jesus does the same thing with his disciples in that passage because they come back with some food and they say to Jesus, you must eat, otherwise you're going to not be strong enough, you're going to lose your energy. And Jesus says, "Um, my food is to do my father's will. And then he talks about the harvest being ripe. Um, And he says, what's the most important is God's mission. Um, Yes, we need food. Yes, we need water. But there's more to life than just the physical things You know, we have fed about 736 tonnes of food this year, apparently, um, through our storehouse ministry up until now. And that is amazing, and it's such a privilege. And we thank all of the people who work in storehouse, uh, both paid staff and volunteers. We're, We're so grateful to everything they do, and we're so pleased that we can give this away. But we know that when Jesus says to us, feed my sheep, that's not the only thing he had in mind. We want to be a community where we care about people's physical needs, but where we really know how to look after each other's spiritual needs as well. 
And again, seeing Luke, you know, t- telling us how they've managed to bless people. Jesus wants to bless people. And often it starts with the physical opportunities because that's what, where people's needs are. And Jesus cares about that and he wants us to link with that and not to separate the spiritual and the physical worlds. Lots of religions do that. They say that the spiritual world is more important than the physical world. And one of the sort of oldest, most famous philosophers um, talks about that, um, how you know, the spiritual is the real thing and the physical is just not very good. Um, but Jesus doesn't do that. He puts the two together and he says, live more deeply and be fully alive, but bring those two things together. Don't separate the two. And in order to do that, we need to be real and we need to face up to reality, what the physical reality is. Um, Apparently, I was reading that uh, depression and anxiety are often largely caused by unreal expectations. It might be um, unreal, unreal expectations of us about ourselves or it might be others' expectations of us that we can't meet. And it plunges us into uh, depression and anxiety. And as we all know, that is absolutely rife in our world, in our society, in our culture. And true peace comes when we can fully accept who we are without the pressure to be someone else. Which leads us to the next point in the game of what would you rather? <laughs> Keep forgetting my brain. Uh, so, what would you rather? To hide the truth so that you look good, or to be truthful? In all the in all the conversations about the living water and the woman's defensiveness about Jesus asking her for a glass of water, the conversation comes to the crux of the matter when Jesus asks her to go and get her husband. It wasn't that she was hiding who she was. There was no need for her to bring up anything about her private life. But Jesus had crossed so many lines of appropriateness, even to be there talking to her. He'd gone into Samaritan um, country. uh, He was on his own with a woman, not only a, a woman, but a woman who was a bit of an outcast of society, seen as not a very good woman. Um, And... The fact that the story is included in John's gospel is really important because John is showing how Jesus as the Messiah carried out his mission. So, you know, we've seen how he goes and speaks to a woman who's insignificant. And let's see what happens at the end of that story. But just for a minute, I want us to think about the fact that Jesus goes out of his way to meet with this woman because Jesus goes out of his way to meet with all of us. He goes out of his way to help us to understand how loved we are. I just want to share quickly a story that happened to me a couple of months ago in America. We'd gone to a a theology conference and I'd done quite a lot of work and research and given a paper and it was good. But there was also great worship and some ministry time. And someone said... um, that we should go forward if we wanted to be prayed for, uh, particularly if we felt we were in a battle and we felt that we were a bit on our own or that we were a bit 
far from God. So I went forward and someone prayed for me and very embarrassingly me and very embarrassingly I fell backwards and I'm not quite sure kind of how but I landed in someone's lap and um, I'm not I didn't even know whose lap I was in and I was like being prayed for and I just knew that I had to just behave and kind of let God get you know be I just had to be blessed and that I wasn't to be anxious and all of that kind of stuff. And then, um, even although it was embarrassing and I was worried, and on one level I was thinking, you know, really, I should not have landed on this person's lap because I'm sure she's got bruises on her legs and, or, or their legs. I didn't know if it was a man or a woman. I, but when I got up and I'd been prayed for and I felt like God had given me what I'd gone forward for by faith. I turned round, and the woman whose lap I was in um, had given her testimony that evening. And while she was speaking, I just cried and cried because her story was so beautiful. And basically, her name is Medine Kina, and she had been rescued from the Civil War in the Congo. And she'd literally run across the country with her family, pushing her sick father in a, in a wheelbarrow. Um, and they had escaped all kinds of terrible, terrible things. And then afterwards, she'd gone back, and she'd forgiven people that had uh, been responsible for um, causing her harm. And here I was in her lap. And I, I just realized that God was saying to me through that, that even although I'm privileged, and I'm white, and I come from the first world, and my problems are not anything like her problems, um, that actually he holds all of us in his arms and he understands all of our anxieties and all of our lives and all of our problems. And um, that's what Jesus was doing for this woman at the well. And we're just going to watch a clip, um, which is a, a dramatic response to this story. I am a woman of no distinction, of little importance. I am a woman of no reputation, save that which is bad. You whisper as I pass by and cast judgmental glances, though you don't really take the time to look at me or even get to know me. For to be known is to be loved, and to be loved is to be known, and otherwise what's the point in doing either one of them in the first place? I want to be known. I want someone to look at my face and not just see two eyes, a nose, a mouth, and two ears but to see all that I am and could be, all my hopes, loves, and fears. That's too much to hope for, to wish for, or pray for, so I don't, not anymore. Now I keep to myself, and by that I mean the pain, pain that keeps me in my own private jail, the pain that's brought me here at midday to this well. To ask for a drink is no big request, but to ask it of me, a woman unclean, ashamed, used and abused, an outcast, a failure, a disappointment, a sinner. No drink passing from these hands to your lips could ever be refreshing, only condemning, as I'm sure you condemn me now, but you don't. You're a man of no distinction, though of the utmost importance, a man with little reputation, at least so far. You whisper and tell me to my face what all those glances have been about, and you take the time to really look at me, but don't need to get to know me for to be known is to be loved, and to be loved is to be known. And you know me, you actually know me, all of me and everything about me, every thought inside and hair on top of my head, every hurt stored up, every hope, every dread, my past and my future, all I am and could be. You tell me everything, you tell me about me. 
And that which is spoken by another would bring hate and condemnation. Coming from you brings love, grace, mercy, hope, and salvation. I've heard of one to come who would save a wretch like me. And here in my presence, you say, I am he. To be known is to be loved, and to be loved is to be known. And I just met you, but I love you. I don't know you, but I want to get to. Let me run back to town. This is way too much for just me. There are others, brothers, sisters, lovers, haters, the good and the bad, sinners and saints, who should hear what you've told me, who should see what you've shown me, who should taste what you gave me, who should feel how you forgave me. For to be known is to be loved, and to be loved is to be known. And they all need this too. We all do need it for our own. To be loved is to be known, and to be known is to be loved. And the end of this story is that this woman goes back to her village and she says, I have met him, the Messiah, and he's told me everything that I've ever done. And that was her story. Uh, She was just so full of her relationship, this new relationship she had with Jesus and what he had done for her and how he had shown her his care and all she did was go and tell and because of that the whole village said well we've got to go and meet him as well so they they ran off with her and they they went back to find Jesus and they said to Jesus oh wow tell us tell us who you are tell us all about what you what you what you're about you know what is it and Jesus stayed with them for two days and at the end of the two days the whole village said to the woman We don't just believe now because you've told us, but we believe because we've met him too. And that's what we want, isn't it? We want to know Jesus and to make him known. We want to be able to tell our authentic story. It's got to be truth. We can't hide who we are. So before we can make Jesus known, before we can really know him, we have to know that we're known by him and that we're loved by him and that we're accepted by him.